By exploring the parables that Jesus told, um, we desire to not only discover uh, more about who God is as revealed through Jesus Christ, but also what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. And so uh, we recognize that we live in the tension of that already but not yet. Uh, we, we live in the, in the tension of knowing that Jesus has won the victory, that sin and death has, have already ultimately been defeated, and yet we live in a world where that's not really realized as of yet. Uh, we look forward to Easter. We look forward to the resurrection, and we realize that the sin and death will be defeated, but not ultimately until we either leave this world or until Christ returns. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed uh, and the parable of the yeast. Uh, we discussed that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are simply uh, different ways of explaining the same thing. They basically mean the same thing. Uh, we also looked at how the kingdom starts small, how it spreads quickly, and how it has visible results. And we wrestled with this question, do we really want that to happen? Do we really want our faith to grow in our life and to begin affecting all areas of our life? Or are we just pretty content to have just enough faith to be okay with God, but not really let it permeate our lives and make any changes, especially any visible changes, especially any uncomfortable changes? Do we really want it? In Jesus' kingdom, he desires faith, but do we want it? Uh, Ian examined the parable of the shrewd manager from Luke chapter 16. He looked at God's grace and how we really need to rely upon God's grace, but do we really want that? Do we really want God's grace to be evident in our life, or do we want to make sure that we can do it on our own enough and just ask God to do the big work of saving us? Uh, last week, we explored what it means to live in the kingdom and how one character trait of God that he desires for us to have is to be humble. How we view ourselves, how we view each other, how we view God is in a way that we are to be humble. And does it cause us to be humble? It should, but do we want it to cause us to be humble? And if it does cause us to be humble, do we want to be humble? And so we have to ask the question, do we really want his kingdom to be in our life? Today we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 13. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn there. If you're reaching for a blue Bible, if you didn't bring one, it'll be on page 690. really want to encourage you to have the text in your hand uh, because I'm just going to put up kind of verse by verse as we go through, but it's going to be good for you to, to have it to where you can look back and forth. It, it might be helpful for you this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told to his disciples and to a large crowd of people. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 actually contains seven different parables. Uh, the first one in chapter 13 is the parable of uh, the different types of soil. How the seed that was sown fell on four different types of soil. It's probably the most uh, familiar parable in, in this chapter. Those four different types of soil included the path where the seed fell and was quickly eaten up by birds. It contains uh, the rocky places where the seed fell and it grew up quickly, but because there was no root system, it died off. Then you have the, the soil that can contained the weeds where the, the seed fell and it grew very well and it, it did well for a while but then the, the weeds choked it out and then you had the good soil where the seed fell and it produced a crop that was very plentiful and very bountiful. There's the parable of the weeds which is where we're going to land in just a few moments uh, and then there's the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. We already talked about that. The parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price and the net to round out chapter 13. And all these parables Jesus is trying and striving to show the people what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is like. 
And in verse 24, we run across the, the parable of the weeds, or it might say the parable of the wheat and the tares in your Bible. It's titled different things. And what we want to remember is, as Jesus is telling these parables, he's painting a picture for us so that we can better understand the kingdom, even with all its complexities. And in this parable, there's a lot of things going on. So, so let's begin with verse 24 uh, in Matthew chapter 13. It says this, uh, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, this parable makes a lot of sense after you read it if you're a farmer, okay? And lucky for you, on this day, you're lucky that you, fire, you hired a farm boy from Missouri to be your pastor, okay? Uh, it, lucky for you. I, I grew up on a farm, for those of you who didn't know, and uh, this picture is of my grandpa and I on the farm a couple days ago that that picture was taken. Um, uh, this, uh, on the farm that, that I grew up on, uh, we had row crop and cattle, and, and one of the crops that we would plant was uh, drilled winter wheat. Uh, when most people think of crops being planted, uh, when you think of it, you probably think in terms of rows, right? Uh, it's what people do in their garden. It's what you see um, whenever you go to an organic farm to pick the strawberries, right? They're in the rows and the peas and the beans. Everything's in rows so that's easy access and, and you can get to them. Um, most crops on a large farm, they're planted in rows, you know, corn, beans, milo, things like that. Um, but wheat, you don't plant in rows, all right? You plant wheat by using a drill, and no, not the drill, you know, no, a big drill like a planter, and it's spread out all over. And planting wheat with a drill is the most similar thing that we have to, to planting like a sower, like they would in the time of Jesus, like they're talking about in this parable. The text tells us uh, in the next verse that, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, according to various sources, this is something that the enemy would do to uh, a neighbor to exact revenge upon the neighbor. Or maybe they didn't like the neighbor. Maybe the neighbor did something or didn't do something or said something or just whatever. They just weren't getting along. And so this is something uh, an enemy would do to the neighbor in order to exact revenge. And this was a dish that was served cold, right? Which we'll see in the next verse. Because the reason this was such a big deal was because the farmer wouldn't be able to tell that anything had happened for quite some time. Look at verse 26. It says, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now, was it like the weeds just suddenly were there? No. That's when they could tell. See, there was a, a common weed, a weed in the wheat crops during this time period in the first century. It was called the bearded darnel. And at the beginning of the growing process, the wheat and the darnel, they looked very, very similar, almost identical. It was only when they began to form heads that you could really start to tell the difference between the two, and that's when the difference could be detected. And still, even at that point, it took a good farmer to understand the difference between the tares and the wheat, as you can see from the picture. And this caused the workers to begin to question the owner. They said in the text here, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? In other words, it's like, hey, I, I thought you were a good farmer. I thought you understood what good seed looked like. I thought you wanted a good crop to grow. I, I thought you wanted things to go well. I thought you wanted to be a successful farmer. I thought you wanted to be seen as a good farmer. After all, they reasoned, if you are a good farmer, if you know what you're doing, then you would plant good seed, right? And so they asked, where did this weeds come from? Where'd the weeds come from if you're such a good farmer? And the farmer replies, 
an enemy did this. An enemy did this. The farmer recognized that something else was going on. He knew that this was not from him, but it was from his enemy. And upon the explanation, the workers asked him another question. Do you want us to go and pull them up? That makes sense, right? Anybody here have a garden? Well, not yet, right? But you, you have had or you plan to have a garden. What's one of the things you do? You weed your garden or you make your kids weed your garden, right? That's, that's, well, that's what we do. And, and, and that's something that you have to do. If you want your lawn to look nice, what do you do? You take care of the weeds. Why? Because weeds rob the crop, in this case wheat, of valuable nutrients and water. Weeds uh, take up space and crowd out the wheat. Weeds block the sun. Weeds are not what you want to grow and to thrive. And so the logical thing to do is to remove the weeds. But look at what the farmer says. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up weeds, you may root up the wheat with it. Now, again, if you're thinking in concept of rows, it makes sense to to pull out the weeds. But in this case, it doesn't make sense. If you think about it, you can see it in your mind, all these plants in there together. The wheat roots would be intertwined with other wheat roots, which would also be entwined with the weeds. And so if you were to reach in and grab one weed, what would happen? You would uproot the good stuff too. You would be actually hurting the wheat crop which I think makes sense to the workers, and they begin to wonder, so what are we supposed to do? And the farmer answers this question in verse 30 when he says this. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them to be in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, thankfully, that's something this farm boy never had to do. I never had to gather up the wheat and, you know, put it in, in things and carry it into the barn. Instead, we had a combine, which was a glorious thing, right? And you could ride in the combine, and the combine did all the week of work of cutting the wheat, of, of shaking it out, of separating the good from the bad, the seed from the chaff, and all the other straw, and all the other things. And it did all the work for us. And then if it still wasn't quite clean enough, we had a process that we could run it through, and we could clean the seed again to make sure that all we were left with was the really good wheat. We could get rid of all the bad. In this time frame, the wheat would be gathered up, and then it would be taken into the barn where it would be, it would be uh, threshed, and it would be a process that you remove the wheat seed from the chaff and everything else, and so that the wheat was what remained, and it could be used for a variety of purposes. But here, the workers grabbed the, the tares, the weeds, right before the harvest, and they gathered them up, and they carried them to the designated place, and they burned them. Why did they burn them? Because you don't want that seed to survive, right? You want that seed to be eliminated so it doesn't contaminate the field in the future. And so Jesus is telling them this parable, a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying? What lesson do we have from this? Well, this is one of those parables that we find that it's easy for the experts and for theologians to agree on what it means. And why is that? Well, because Jesus tells us what it means. This is one of those we don't have to start wandering and start contemplating. Jesus tells us, if you look down at verse 37, at the request of his disciples, Jesus explains this parable. He says to them in verse 37, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed, then they will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, for me, this gets a little confusing, so I made a chart, and I'm sharing the chart with you. Hopefully this will make a little more sense as well. The farmer is the son of man. It's Jesus. The field is the world, the good seed, the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, or anything that causes sin and all who do evil. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. The fiery furnace is where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom. Again, Jesus is talking about, in this parable, he's talking about farming. He was using something familiar to them, farming, to explain and help them to understand something that was not familiar to them, which was the kingdom of heaven. So what are the kingdom lessons that we can learn from this parable that Jesus told to the people, to his disciples? There's a couple of things, and I invite you to write these down if this is helpful for you. Uh, The first lesson that I think we can learn is this. The world is full of weeds. Would you agree with that? The world is full of weeds. I I don't think that's really a difficult concept for any of us to understand. All all you have to do is uh, turn on the TV or read the news or or watch the news. Uh, You just live out in the world for a little while and you know it's true. And whether we like to think about it or not in this way, Jesus is telling us that the weeds are a result of the enemy. The weeds are a result of of the evil one, of Satan. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we see this all the time. From big things in our world to small things in our world, we see the seed sown by our enemy, by Satan, growing in things like ISIS and systemic injustice and eating disorders and sexism and and racism and poverty and war and and threats of war. We, We see that weeds divide families. They cause us to to say things that we regret later just so we can win the fight. We lose our temper. We don't show compassion. We take care of ourselves, and we disregard the needs of other people. In a world full of weeds, we deal with cancer and illness and addiction and greed and jealousy and loss. Our flesh, we deal with death. People strive to establish their own kingdom. And it seems as though Satan, the evil one, those that do evil, sin, that the principalities and the powers of this dark world, it really at times feels like the enemy is winning. Doesn't it? Things seem to be getting worse when we want them to get better. Things we thought would be good and bring us restoration instead are destroying us. Bridges we thought we crossed 50 years ago We still have to cross every day. Those that do evil seem to be growing in number. They seem to be thriving. And it seems that the good seed are being dominated by the bad. The the bad seeds, they are succeeding while the sons of the kingdom are failing. And with all the evil in the world, At times it really feels like that the weeds get out of control and we begin to ask the question, at least I begin to ask the question, God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you step in? Why don't you intervene? Why are you not doing something? Which brings me to the second kingdom lesson that 
that I think we need to understand, and that is this. The farmer is good. The farmer is good. And I want to suggest we know the farmer is good from this parable for two different reasons. First of all, because the world is full of wheat. It's a lot easier to see the weeds than it is the wheat, isn't it? And yet, all over the world, there are sons and daughters of the kingdom, those who profess faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. With all the hate and persecution and killing, the the scandals, the turmoil, the lies, the distrust, it's a lot easier to see weeds than it is to see wheat. And yet, in the time after the 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians were killed, we see that more Egyptian Coptic Christians are joining hands, facing outwards, making a circle to protect a group of Muslim men who are praying, and they're protecting them from an angry group of protesters. In Iraq, Kurdistan, we see tents being assembled for refugees so they can have shelter from the cold. We see wheat being wheat all over the world. And as individuals or as a church, when we are wheat, when we are good seed, we are sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven as we love one another. As we run from sin, as we serve someone else, whether it be at the maize craze or bringing food for the East Trenton Center, if we bring gifts for children, if we throw birthday parties for home front, if we bring backpacks and school supplies for children, if if we bring Easter eggs and, and things like that for our community Easter egg hunt, when we support one another, when we help one another, who have, especially those who have no opportunity to help us in return, when we humble ourselves and we put the needs of other people ahead of our own, when we share share our story and we encourage other people to see themselves in God's grand narrative of God. We are sons and daughters of the kingdom. We are wheat. The Sermon on the Mount may be the best description of what it means to be a son or a daughter in God's kingdom. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Sons and daughters of the kingdom are those who are salt and light, those who follow the heart of the law, those who love their enemies, those who love the weeds, those who are doing evil and causing sin to happen. Being a son or daughter of the kingdom means we give to those who are in need. We pray and we fast. We store up treasures in heaven. We trust in God to provide. We trust that God is the one who will separate the wheat from the weeds. We see that the farmer is good. And if you look around, you can see the sons and the daughters of the kingdom of heaven. And you can know that the world is full of wheat. But there's something else that we cannot overlook I think we also have to see that the farmer is good when we realize that the farmer has patience, that God has patience. And just to be real transparent, this is a really tough one for me to accept sometimes. We've already talked about the evil and the weeds in the world, and it causes us to ask lots of different questions. Why doesn't God step in and stop the tragedies and the accidents and the tyrants and the bullies and those who force their agenda on people and crust opposition? Why does it seem like God is silent and disinterested and apathetic? And I don't know that I can answer all of those questions here this morning, but I think that one of the things that the parables teach us about God's sovereignty and rule over the world is it's not as straightforward as I would like it to be 
or as I imagine it to be. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read these words, He, being God, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The truth of the matter is that when we look at the big, bad, evil things in the world, we want God to act justly and God to act swiftly, don't we? I want vengeance, and I want it now. Anyone else there sometimes? (laughs) We're kind of like the workers in the parable, right? I thought you were a good God. I thought you wanted things to be good. I thought you understood that things are supposed to be good. I I thought you wanted your kingdom to be here on earth as it is in heaven. I thought you wanted us to worship you as a holy, loving, benevolent God. After all, if you're truly God and you really know what you're doing, and if I'm really supposed to trust you, what are you doing about all the evil that's in this world? But when it comes to our own lives, when it comes to my life, when it comes to my sin, when it comes to your sin, Would we really like it if God were to rule the world directly and immediately so that our every thought and action were weighed and were instantly judged if necessary and then punished on the scales of his absolute holiness? You better answer no. Because when it comes to others, we want justice. But when it comes to ourselves, man, we want grace. Waiting is what we all find difficult. Jesus' followers, the disciples, they weren't any different. They weren't interested in God's timetable. They had their own timetable. And and when we hear God saying that he's delaying the final judgment, it may sound like and it may look like God is inactive or he is uncaring. But when we look at Jesus, who is revealing to us the characteristics of God, we, we see that he was very active. He was deeply compassionate. He battled both evil and he defeated it all at the same time, knowing that the final defeat of the enemy was yet to come. We have the advantage of living on this side of Calvary, living on this side of Easter, knowing that God did act suddenly and dramatically. And in that moment, he sought to usher in his kingdom and to give us hope of eternal life with him. And when we see what God has done for us through Jesus Christ... It gives us the ability to wait patiently for God to act in our world and in our own lives. And since God is patient, we're called to trust him and be patient as well. I liken it to this. It's like we're sitting at a stoplight waiting for the light to turn green so we can go. And as we're sitting there waiting, we notice the sign which reads, Wait. Delayed signal. Have you seen those? Those may be one of the most frustrating signs that you see because you pull up and you wait, and just when you think it's your time to go, you wait some more. Everyone else is going. Everyone else gets to turn and get on with their life and and do their thing. They're moving and being successful, but we have to wait. And often I feel that way when it comes to the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It seems like the world is winning, that evil is getting ahead. It's winning the day. Everyone else is on the move, and I'm just waiting. It seems like God's kingdom is just waiting. 
We're waiting for God to intervene, waiting for God to initiate the harvest, waiting for God to send his angels, waiting for all those who do evil to be brought to justice, and all those who are faithful to shine like the sun in God's kingdom. Delayed signal. Wait. And oh, how we want him to not wait for others, and oh, how we want him to wait for us. The reality is, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. We need to remember that God is patient, and his view of time is far different than our view of time. God is patient. We have our view of justice, but God has an amazing view of grace. Because the farmer is good, we must wait. The harvest is coming. We have to trust in the farmer because he is good. And as we wait, we are called to be wheat. We're called to be a good crop. We are called to be sons and daughters in his kingdom so that his kingdom shall come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the the band to come forward this morning. Ask the leadership team if they would to take their places in the front and the back of the auditorium um, as we move into our time of response today. You know, each week, we want to give you an opportunity to to let God do business with you, to see what God is doing in your life and and allow him to to speak to you and and for you to wrestle with who God is and, and what it means to you in your life. Today, um, as we move into this time of response, I'm going to uh, invite you to do a couple things. Um, I'm going to invite you to wrestle with a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you in our time together. I'm also going to, going to invite you to do this in a posture of prayer. And if you're comfortable doing it, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and try to remove the distractions from around you. And, and let's focus on these things as we respond to the Lord this morning. The first thing is this, as we, as we approach the Lord uh, humbly this morning. What are the weeds that are in your life? What are those things that are wrapped around your feet, those things that were troubling to you as you walked in here this morning, those things that are waiting for you as soon as you walk out these doors? Would you pray to God about those things? Asking him to help you not only identify those things, but to overcome them through his power and his grace in your life.